You can now become a premium member of the podcast with exclusive access to additional episodes, bonus content, and items available nowhere else. I'll also be asking members questions and getting feedback to find out exactly what you want to see and hear. To keep this super affordable, it starts at just $2 per month. This may just be the most inexpensive and valuable acting class you'll ever take. Go to workingactorsjourney.com slash premium to join. This is episode number one with Robert Pine. Coming up. And I thought, whoa, (laughs) I kind of like this. Because I did struggle in college. I was not a, uh, a student. I was not a B student. I was a confirmed C, C plus student. And sometimes I've left the set thinking, oh, God, I just did not deliver. And I know I didn't deliver. And I'm not just being modest. I didn't deliver. You go out there and tell the truth. And I don't care whether it's Shakespeare, whether it's Moliere, whether it's uh, Mel Brooks or whatever. you got to go and tell the truth. Hey there. Thank you so much for checking out this podcast. Are you a subscriber yet? If not, click that subscribe button so that you do not miss anything ahead. And if you have an extra moment, go ahead and rate and review the show in iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. That will help others find out about the show. I appreciate all your comments and thank you so much for doing that. Hello and welcome to episode number one of The Working Actor's Journey. Thank you very much for being here. My name is Nathan Agan, and this podcast is in-depth interviews with working actors, people who have been doing this and getting paid for it professionally for 30, 40, 50 plus years. It is about finding out what took them from A to B. How did they get started? How do they actually work on material? What challenged them? What did they face early on in their career? What do they still get challenged by? And what have they learned from a lifetime of acting? That's what the goal and the purpose of this show is. And so I'm glad you are here. Just so you know, there's going to be about 10 episodes for the first season of this podcast. Another reason I'm really excited about this show is because these are stories you probably don't already know. The people that I will be talking to, you may recognize them, either their voice from something you've heard or a video game, or maybe you've seen them on TV or in a movie or maybe even something on stage. These are amazing actors in their own right, and they've been doing this for decades. And when I talked to younger actors and people starting their career about what they wanted, what they most hoped to attain in their own career, one phrase that came up again and again is working actor. Most actors that I talk to just want the opportunity to be able to work, to keep doing this, to work with great people on fun and challenging material, and to get paid for it. That really is the dream. I mean, of course, a lot of people have big ideas and, you know, would love to do X, Y, or Z, and that's all well and good. But Really, when it comes down to it, most people, whatever their passion is, and in this case, acting, you just want to be able to get paid to do what you love. And so these are people that have made that their career. I think these are going to be stories that are extremely relevant for you listening. If you are an aspiring actor or you're a working actor at the beginning of your career, 
and you want to find out, you know, what have other people that have already kind of gone down this road, what have they figured out, maybe what can I avoid, what can I try to do more of, that, again, is another one of the big goals of this show. Now, a quick word about me, your host. Again, my name is Nathan Agan. I'm an actor. I studied theater at the University of Southern California, done a lot of theater, a little bit of TV and film. I'm also an entrepreneur, work for myself online. I'm a bit of a goofball, which maybe you'll hear on this show. And I'm also a bit of a Shakespeare nerd, love studying it, reading it, performing it whenever I get the opportunity. I feel extremely fortunate about the people I've worked with, the people I have been taught by, and the people I've just been able to observe. And I want to do what I can to share the wisdom and experiences of all of these amazing, fantastic working actors out there. I want to do what I can to share that and allow more actors out there the opportunity to really learn from these greats. So I imagine that there will be at least three kind of audiences for this show. First is people in their 20s or 30s or people just starting their career if later in life you've decided this is something you want to pursue and you want to shorten that learning curve. This is absolutely something that I hope will be valuable in your acting journey. And so I'm really thrilled that if you're part of that group that you're listening to the show, Secondly, maybe you just enjoy behind-the-scenes stuff with actors. Uh, you know, perhaps you recognize someone's name or face and you just want to hear more about their process, their journey, and I'm glad that you're listening too. And third, if you just enjoy long-form chats with interesting people that have had fascinating journeys and lives, then I'm really thrilled that you're here too. So that's the show in a nutshell. Those are the goals. That's what I'm hoping to do here. I am really grateful for you listening. And again, whatever group you fall in, wherever you are in your life, I am thrilled that this can become part of your journey. In the acting business and in life, there is so much uncertainty and vulnerability and rejection. Wouldn't it be nice as an actor if you could find a little bit of peace in the process? Back in 2010, I found something that really helped me out with a lot of the anxiety and worry, and that is meditation. I really wish I had known about this when I was pursuing a career in acting in Los Angeles. Now, fast forward to today, I haven't missed a day of meditating in seven years. I find it that useful. And that's also why I created a free online course delivered by email. So you can go to freemeditationcourse.com and sign up right now. It has tips and ideas and advice and scientific evidence because it has been proven it's good for you. You can start with just 30 seconds. I guarantee you will experience a difference. Go to freemeditationcourse.com and start your journey right now. Today on the show, we have Robert Pine, and Robert is, I believe, just a perfect person to help us kick things off. He's got a great attitude, he's fun, he's got a lot of stories, and he's been working in this business for a long, long time. So I know he's got a lot to share. I first met Robert on a production of Noel Coward's Tonight at 8.30, which I did with the Antias Company at the time. They were in North Hollywood, now they're in Glendale. And Robert was a member of the cast. There was like 45 actors. Uh, every part was double cast, as Antias does. And uh, we all, you know, had a number of different parts to play. And I just remember he was a great guy, you know, really fun and easy to talk to. And 
And at the end of the night, uh, there'd be several cast members, a few bottles of wine, and we'd all just hang out and chat. And it was a really great experience. And, and to have these older actors just hanging out and you can, you know, just either chat about the business or chat about life in general. And they, like a lot of cast, you know, you just become friends. And so he was a great guy and, and I really enjoyed meeting him and glad we were able to work together on that show. I am actually in Los Angeles right now as I record this part of the show, and I even got to meet up with Robert um, the other day, and it was just great to see him. It's kind of like that old saying, no time has passed at all, and uh, it was great to catch up a little bit. Uh, he even showed me the new Antius Theater in Glendale. Uh, it's just extraordinary, and to even think, I mean, I got involved with it in the early 2000s, when it was uh, you know, a small space on Vineland, and then it moved to a, a smaller theater, but larger for us uh, on Lancashire. And now it's this, you know, beautiful, dedicated space for Antius. It's it's really extraordinary how far the company has come. So it was great to see Robert, great to hang out in Glendale and see all that stuff. One of the reasons I'm thrilled to have Robert on the show is I think he really embodies what a working actor is. He's professional. He's hardworking. He has a great attitude. He's He's fun. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He does his work. And I think that is something for anyone to aspire to. He's also worked in the business for the past 50 plus years. He's probably best known to people for the show Chips, which was about the California Highway Patrol. And he did that in the late 70s and early 80s. He was, I think, on every episode. So he's a series regular on that. Most people will associate him with that. But he's, you know, done dozens of guest stars and, and movies. And he's got over 200 film and TV credits on IMDb. And that's not even everything, but he's done almost every iconic TV show from the 60s to today, from Bonanza to Veep. So he just keeps working and he's done commercials and video games and soap operas and theater. And I remember him in the movie Independence Day with Will Smith. And he also had a part in the animated movie Frozen not too long ago. And he's also a member of the SAG after a national board. He's been very involved with that, I know, for a number of years. And, you know, checking out his current career, he has five projects on IMDb that are in post-production. He is also, if you're trying to place that last name, Pine, why do I know the name Pine, 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 Pine? He is also the dad of actor Chris Pine. And Chris plays Captain Kirk in the new Star Trek films. And he was also in the recent Wonder Woman reboot. And so I did ask Robert a little bit about his thoughts on Chris's career and those things we talked about. Robert's journey from New York, how he ended up in this business. He went to school to become a doctor. Uh, we talk about a lot of the challenges he has when it comes to learning lines and just a lot of great advice. So I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. And so here we go. Episode number one. Please enjoy my chat with Robert Pine. Because we, we first met on Tonight at 8.30. Was that the first? Yeah. That was the project, right? Yeah, that was my first uh, thing. That's how I got involved with Antius. Yeah, so how did, I mean, uh, that was something I was curious about. I don't think I knew. Like, what was the decision to, you know, do more theater or, or, or get involved with Antius specifically? I've always tried to do theater. I love theater. That That's where I started with my first experiences were uh, actually in high school. And um, uh, I always thought that that's where I would uh, go. And that's, I started in New York. 
and uh, had every intention of being a theater actor. Uh, but uh, as uh, fate would have it, it um, my break came uh, in Hollywood, of all things. But um, no, I've always tried to do theater. I think if a person enjoys acting, likes the process of acting, I mean, that's when you feel most alive to me as an actor is when you're on the stage. Because when they say, uh, when the curtain goes up, you can do a totally different play if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go completely off, forget everything, and it's up to you to get back on track. And uh, it's all up to you. Um, the director can't say, cut, I don't like it that way, let's go this way, or whatever. So I've always tried to do theater, and I always have, and mostly locally in the what we call here uh, equity waiver theater, which is theaters with uh, less than 99 seats, and we all do it for free, much to the um, uh, displeasure of our union, Equity, which is uh, making some uh, shouts and noises now about ending that, which that's a whole other topic. <laughs> but I've always tried to do theater, and uh, I was involved with the theater early on in uh, in my career here, the Melrose Theater, which was well known at that time and did very good work. And um, then that uh, folded, and uh, for many reasons, uh, all of which are good, nothing to do with uh, people bailing and saying, you're terrible, you're taking advantage of me, I'm out, uh, but all for good reasons. Um, and I was always looking for another home. It just so happened that my wife was out for a walk in our neighborhood and uh, mentioning a name that you would remember, uh, Kitty Swink. She was walking her dog. She's the neighbor. And she says, you know, you think Robert would be interested in um, doing a play? We're doing a thing called an old coward thing. And the guy dropped out and we don't have anybody to replace him. So she came home and told me and I said, hell yeah, I'd like to do that. Because actually, Chris had gotten involved with Antius before I did a couple of years before when he was just starting and did some work with them. So I was aware of the company. And uh, that's how I got started there. But I've always, I've loved theater. And when I can fit it in, the problem with theater is you, you can't, when you've, when you've established a lifestyle at a certain level, it's theater doesn't, unless you're a big star, which I'm not and never have been, um, you, you can't sustain a lifestyle with the, what they pay you for that. that. That's the terrible conundrum about it all. I mean, uh, um, so to commit to uh, theater over an extended period of time is something I can't afford to do, and uh, as much as I would love to. So, so you mentioned uh, you did theater starting in high school, and so, so where where did you where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born in New York City in a sanitarium, which sounds terrible. <laughs> I always thought. 
Mom, why were you in a sanitarium? Well, it was a place where they also had a birthing place, I guess. And uh, um, I think they called hospitals and sanitariums or something. Anyway, I was born in New York City and then moved around a great deal during the war years. I was born in uh, pre-World War uh, to just prior in July of 41. And then uh, when I was six, five or six, we moved to Scarsdale, New York, finally, and which is a suburb of New York City. And I went to Scarsdale High School there. And uh, were you? Uh, did you have uh, brothers and sisters, or were you an only child? I had a brother who was eight years younger than I was, and um, who unfortunately has since died. But uh, um, and my father was a patent attorney in New York, and uh, so Scarsdale would be a what you would call a Tony neighborhood. I wouldn't say we were rich because we weren't. And my father beat that into my head all the time. We're not rich. We're not rich like some of your friends. Um, but um, we, everybody in Scarsdale was doing okay. I mean, there was no great, uh, there was no, there were no slums. There were no, everybody, it was a very nice neighborhood. Your dad, uh, your dad saying that over and over, what did that kind of, um, uh, create in in your mindset? How did that kind of develop? Well, you, you know, my my father was from Okmulgee, Oklahoma, and his father was in the oil business. And you say, oh, oil? Well, no. His brother, my my great uncle, uh, was in oil also. He worked for his brother, and his brother was very successful and was also one of the first senators from Oklahoma uh, to uh, Washington. And um, But my father always had those rural roots, and uh, but always wanted to be be, he, all, he always wanted to go to New York, to the big city. And, and he graduated from uh, uh, OU, Oklahoma University, went to Harvard Law School, as my uncle did too, his brother. And so he was a patent attorney in New York. And that was, uh, you know, uh, he made some money and he wanted to live in Scarsdale was a place that was known to him and he wanted to live there. And, uh, but and he he did well. We belonged to country clubs and stuff like that. And uh, my father and I were not very close. He was a very stern man and sort of cold in many ways. And you know, I didn't understand it when I was young and was quite resentful. I had a mother who was who was wonderful to me, and any any empathy I had for other human beings and and. Uh, uh, my sense of, uh, I don't know, uh, I was, I learned all the social graces and all of the, the empathy for other human beings from my mother. And, uh, wasn't until much later in my life that I, after I'd confronted my father when I was, the one thing you didn't do with my father, 
was, was if he said something you didn't disagree with it you just went along with the program or it was not fun and uh, not that he was physically he was never physically abusive he always I uh, I was always well clothed well fed went to college paid for the whole thing and uh, now here's a fact that he told me once uh, that all four years at a private college in Ohio, I went to Ohio Wesleyan University, all four years there with room, board, everything extra, with the money you would have to have every month to live, the whole thing, 10, 10 grand. Can you believe that? I mean, you, 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 you couldn't even, amazing. you couldn't even go a semester to a school now for 10 grand. Uh, anyway, so he took care of all those things, but he was a, a terribly una- unapproachable man. And anytime you had a disagreement, you had to eat it. Now, you know, this was something I don't think I knew until I started researching is, is, is you are a man of actually many names. Yes, um, and, I am. And so, so, I mean, and actually you are named after your father. I am. Yeah, I was curious because his name uh, and yours, Granville, of course, you know, means large town. Uh, oh, does it? So yeah. I, oh, of course it would. Yeah, I guess I never figured that out. <laughs> so I was just kind of, you know, I was curious what kind of de- derivation and maybe maybe it was just... It, it it does come from uh, my uh, there's my great great grandfather great great grandfather great great grandfather is William Granville Pine. Okay, so that's where I that's where he got it from. So when you said, you know, I mean, I know uh, later in life you you chose the name Robert uh, for acting, mm-hmm. and was was that was part of that the the reason to choose a different name because of the distance in your relationship with your dad? Or was it? It was did that why have you that latched onto that when, name. When I I was never called Granville. I ha- always hated the name. You know, you can imagine in kindergarten, I remember kindergarten when the, I don't remember this, but I do remember as years went on, you know, they're calling the boys' names. Okay, is Robert Price here? Is uh, David uh, Shapiro here? Is Granville Pine here? And my hand would shoot up and I'd say, uh, everybody calls me Buzz. That was my nickname. And why, why, and why was that? <laughs> Well, it's a corny story that uh, my mother told me that in the hospital, they didn't have a name for me when I was born. <laughs> uh, and right away, you know, you're supposed to write down on the birth certificate. Well, they didn't have a name. And so the a nurse called me Buzz because I was always crying or yapping or doing something. So they stuck with that, called me Granville, finally Granville Whitelaw. Whitelaw is my uh, mother's maiden name, Virginia Whitelaw. So I was Granville Whitelaw Pine, which is really a, a really grand handle. Yes, a very regal will. name. Yes. And I always thought the Pine sort of fell short. It should have been Whitney, Granville Whitelaw Whitney or something like that. But well, yeah, uh, the only other Granville I knew was was a Henry Granville Barker, right? The playwright. Yes. And another another like you know very heavy name yes a heavy name and i know there's a uh, granny van dusen granville van dusen who's an actor who uh he doesn't uh, 
what's his, he goes by Sonny, Sonny Van Dusen. And then there's another uh, Granville who, I forget his last name, who was on the, um, um, on the board of uh, SAG-AFTRA that, that, that I knew. Um, but no, I never liked the name Granville. It just, I, it was just too off-putting. Uh, and, um, you know, kids kidded around, called me and my best friends going, Hey, granny, or something like that. And that's what they called my, my father, a lot of his friends. But, um, I, uh, when I came out to California, shortly after I decided to be an actor, I got a very, which we'll get into later, uh, it got this break and I was under contract at Universal. And, uh, the, and, you know, I was, 23 at the time, maybe 22. And they said, um, would you mind if we changed your name? Because I, I, I was 22. I looked like I was 17 and Granville Pine when they're trying to market a new guy. So I said, be my guest. It's fine. What name do you want? Well, I picked Robert because it was, and I like Robert, Bob. I, people call me Bob, uh, you know, I don't know how they get it because I never say I'm Bob. I, I like Robert, like Robert Redford, but they call him Bob. But <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, I, so, I am um, Robert. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so to jump back to you know when you were growing up in Scarsdale, um, you said you know you guys had a pretty. Uh, comfortable, modest living. Mm -hmm. Um, and was it, uh, was it an art, our creative household and artistic? Like, what was your mom up to? What were you doing, you know, growing up? Any, any kind of, well, I took piano lessons and I was, uh, I quit right at the wrong time. You know, as soon as girls came into the picture, I didn't have time for piano lessons. Um, uh, no, it wasn't really a very artistic family. My mother, though, however, um, my father met my mother in Boston and my mother was, went to a, a an all girls two year college called Erskine. And Erskine, which is no longer, uh, she was a drama student. She, she wanted to be in drama. And from the way she tells it, she got into Yale drama school after that, but she married my father instead. And, and actually, when they did plays, they would, they would, um, uh, get, uh, boys from Harvard to come and play the male roles. And, uh, one of those boys was, uh, a man by the name of Robert Anderson, a playwright who did Tea and Sympathy and was a very big playwright in the fifties and sixties. And, um, and also wrote for the movies and, uh, and a wonderful man. And when I did become an actor, when I decided I wanted to give it a try, uh, he was, uh, he made some very important introductions for me. So, uh, so did we have an artistic household? Not really. We watched television. <laughs> and, uh, I, uh, it was in the ninth grade and, uh, I had to turn this paper into my English teacher. And I went with this friend of mine uh, to turn it in after school, and he was having uh, auditions. He was the the, uh, the uh, teacher in charge of the drama club, 
And he said, uh, Buzz, do you want to, you want to try out this good role? I said, nah, no, I'm, I'm a, you, I, I played football and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and not very well, may I say, but, um, nah, you know, I didn't want to do that. No, just give it a try, whatever. Well, he, I won this part. So I forget what the best foot forward or something like this. And we would do them. <clears throat> for uh assembly which we had once a week uh and our high school was uh actually junior high and senior high were together so it was 7 through 12 and uh we did it for he'd cut these plays down to 45 minutes and uh i remember going on in this play and the second line i had got a huge laugh and i thought Whoa, <laughs> I kind of like this. Did you have any concept that it was a funny line or did you? Did no, you I know it was a funny line. I know it was a funny okay. line, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't expect, you know, you don't know if you're delivering it right or everything. What I did discover in that is that I had pretty good, um, comic timing. I mean, I knew where it left was. I still love that doing a play where you you just know where the laughs are and you know and there's that great thing when you have with an audience and uh, anyway then from then on I did a play in 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th grade and I always got the lead and it was great fun and uh, but I'd always wanted to be a doctor so I went off to college as a, as a pre-med which I was for f- 4 years so now I'm curious where did the um comedic timing come from i mean did you did you have a sense of that like from your mom or your dad were either of them very funny my father could be funny after a couple of drinks um <laughs> like like I, many uh, american uh, husbands uh, of the of the period you're right oh god yes um i um i don't know i i i, I had funny friends and I always loved to laugh. And I think it was because in my household, when my mother, with my mother there, we had a great, my mother was very sweet to all my friends and everything. My father, I remember he'd, he'd, he was a commuter and he'd come home and he'd get home around, we'd always eat late, about 7.30 or 8. He would get home anywhere from 6.30 to 7.30 and as soon as I heard the garage door close, the whole tenor of the house sort of was different. You had to watch yourself. And um, um, so I liked being around people who I liked my friends at school. And I, I had a I had a really good social life. I was very popular as a kid. Because I guess I was also a people pleaser, which is not necessarily a, a good trait. But uh, I had I had good friends, and I've always had good friends, and I I, I treasure them all. And uh, but with them, I had a, this one friend, Lori Cohen, who's uh, still one of my closest friends, and. Um, he was a very funny guy, and he was my closest friend in high school. And we always laughed and made each other laugh. And uh, 
I think I probably got it from them. And some you, you just, I, I, I don't know how you get comic timing, but it's, there's something, a combination of something that's innate and something that you observe. And, uh, were there, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, you guys watch TV, uh, growing up. Were there particular, uh, comedy acts or other things you remember seeing that were, that you feel like were influenced, uh, you know, just what your sense of humor was, what you liked? Oh, yes. Um, definitely. Two shows that, uh, were my favorite growing up. And because I had a younger brother, my, my parents would go out. And I would babysit. And there was the fight over what we'd watch on television. Well, I'm eight years older, so you know how that, that argument uh, came out. And you would just, you would sit on him when he was on the couch, right? Right. Just, right. You know, I just mu- muscle him out. And, uh, the two shows that I loved were, were, uh, uh, the Jackie Gleason show, The Honeymooners and, um, your show of shows, which was, uh, Sid, Sid, Caesar, Sid, yeah. Sid Caesar. And I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't get a better learning, uh, place than, uh, the, those two shows. The, the, the comedy timing on those were, were, were great. And I guess I just loved it. And I loved, I remember one of the nicest moments I had with my father is when we watched, uh, Laurel and Hardy on, uh, TV. I remember one night. And he laughed, and I never shared laughs with my father like that. And uh, I really love that. It's funny you mention that because I, um, my my mother's father, who I never met, he passed away before I was born. But um, you know, he was someone even kind of more. I think he would probably be beyond your dad in terms of sternness and Mm -hmm. strictness and all that kind of stuff. And my mother has uh, similar stories. I mean, they were, you know, it's a whole other conversation, but kind of terrified uh, of him as a kid. But my mother does remember, and he was someone that would even get upset if all the kids were laughing, you know, kind of making noise in the house. But she remembers how much he enjoyed the Three Stooges. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, And it was that same kind of thing of like, you know, it's it's amazing how you can uh, feel closer to a parent uh, or you know a, a loved one. You know, it's like, oh, okay, we can we can find some common ground here. Uh, we can find something that um, kind of cuts through the. Um, I don't know what you would call it. Well, there's a barrier. There's a there's a mat. There's a mask that those people wear, and that's something in acting. You know, you you. You um, you have to find your character's mask. What are they hiding? What are they showing? And laughter and stuff sometimes breaks that. A shared experience is what mm. that that is what breaks those masks is when their ex- this person you're trying to get to shares an emotion, hits an emotion exactly when you do. And, and there's no barrier there because you understand one another then. And, um, um, that's what it is. I just, I, I, I was starved for those experiences with my father. And it was, uh, it was a, an emotional deprivation that I experienced. And, um, um, but, you know, all of those, 
experiences you find out later as an actor, boy, they're gold. Sure. They're really gold. Now, now I have a bit of a tangent. Did you, did you know you wanted to be a dad because of your relationship with your dad? Or did you, did it take you a long time to figure out you wanted to be a dad? No, I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to do it differently. And, uh, you know, it does not mean that I didn't make my own mistakes as a dad because you do. There's no perfect solution, which my, my, which I'm glad I have encouraged my children to tell me that. And they have told me in no uncertain terms, but, uh, which is great clears the air and you can move on. Took me till I was 50 years old to go and, and, and just explode with 50 years worth of, uh, repressed emotions of my father. And it uh, shell shocked him and he didn't want to talk to me for the rest of his life. <laughs> but, um, uh, it's the human dynamic, which we explore as actors is, um, is a mysterious, and uh, I don't think we'll ever, through a one lifetime, uh, expose it where it all makes sense. But uh, it's what it's what makes acting so rich and so fun for somebody who's come from those hard times to then use this craft to explore those things and use those things for a good thing. Sure. So, okay. So you mentioned you headed off to college and you were pre-med. So where did that decision come about? Well, I guess you, you had been doing theater in high school and I guess been doing it fairly successfully and showing your parents that you can do this thing. But what happened? But here's <laughs> the interesting thing. I never, ever, thought of this as a profession. I have no idea why, but it's like, you know, all of my father's and mother's friends were doctors, lawyers, and high-level professional people. That's what Scarsdale was. Uh, you had to be doing that if you wanted to live there. You couldn't You couldn't be a blue-collar worker and, and work and live in Scarsdale because it just was beyond their means. Um, so I never thought of it. So I, I guess, and this is the <laughs> interesting thing because I always was an actor and I didn't realize it that I wanted to be an actor. And, and, and this probably came about when I was about, oh, maybe 12 years old. Maybe we had to write a civics paper. No, that would have been a little too early, but about 12 years old, I said, I wanted to be a doctor. And I wanted to be a doctor in Vermont. And I wanted to be a, a general practitioner, you know, the, you know, and, and you can sort of see where <laughs> this image is coming from that I probably saw something on television that, you know, sure. this is the, the idealized doctor. I wanted right. to help people. I wanted to do all this. So I, 
You'd walk from house to house, tip your hat. Uh, they'd be running right, the right, and they and come in the middle of the night, and I'd go over there and deliver the baby or do whatever, not not the stuff that doctors do. And I, I tell the story about myself that it took me to show you just how dense I am. It took me four years of struggling through through pre med to figure out. I didn't want to be a doctor. I want to play a doctor. <laughs> and um, because I did struggle in college, I was not a uh, A student. I was not a B student. I was a confirmed C, C plus student. Not because I didn't try. I didn't realize it at that point that I suffered from what we now call is ADD. And I, um, I, it was just, I was easily distracted. And when you get into a chemistry, reading chemistry, and you say, what the fuck is it? Oh, yeah, something over here <laughs> it could be doing. And oh, yeah, I got to do this. And, you know, and, oh, yeah, over here. So, well, I mean, it brings up a good point because, you know, uh, I mean, you you kind of figured this out later in life that you had this ADD. So mm-hmm. for however many years, it just kind of was going on and, and you still had to learn lines and do other things. How did you manage this ADD? Like, what did you come up with in terms of working well, around it? It was difficult. I don't want to, and this is for whoever listens to this who may suffer from that or something else. Um. I will give myself credit in this way. I, I am a survivor. I don't, I don't give up easy. And I didn't give up with the medicine. I stuck it out for four years and I was, I was discouraged and I had got the feeling sort of my senior year, boy, I don't think this is going to work out. What the hell are you going to do? And, um, I must have applied to about 10 medical schools, didn't get into any of them. And, um, um, it's hard. I have to study my lines very hard. And I would say my process would be different than most people. Um, I, I have to really, really, and that's why I like plays. There's a lot of rehearsal and you really get those lines down. You, you see what the other person is giving, you, you know, it's the ping pong game. One of the most important things in acting that a lot of actors, I don't know why they don't get it, but they don't listen. You got to listen. That's a really important thing to catch what other people are throwing you so you can react to that, not what you've rehearsed at home that's all black and white and you got the lines down. You have to know how to then work with those lines, which means for me, I got to know them very, very well. And sometimes they're elusive. And sometimes I've left the set thinking, oh, God, I just did not deliver. And I know I didn't deliver. And I'm not just being modest. I didn't deliver. And um there's about a two-day span where you sit with that and you just beat yourself up which is never good. But then it goes away and you move on and you go back and you try again. 
And uh, that's what I've done. And I have worked steadily over the years. And uh, I know there's some people I probably don't work for again because I didn't deliver the first time. And you don't. That's another thing I would tell actors that uh, you have to be ready when you get that break, when you get that opportunity, that good part, the the, the part that they you, you want to show off. You can't. You there's a there's like a, a, a hand of fate that, uh, like a clock, goes around, like the the minute hand goes around when it hits your number, and it will. Most people with a monogram of talent are going to get that break. You got to be ready to make something out of that. Because that it may not come back for a long time, and you may you just have to be ready. And um, um, and I have missed that sometimes, but more times than I've, I've escaped. <laughs> so yeah, on on that point, um, you you decide. You're not going to pursue med. Well, I should say the medical school has kind of decided for you. You are not going to be pursuing but medical school at that time. To show you my determination, I decided to go to New York with uh, my roommate in college. Who was going to Columbia uh, Graduate School as an oceanographer. Oh, that was his goal, and um, we roomed together in New York. And I was going to, and my father paid for the uh, apartment and I guess I had an allowance I'd forgotten but I was going to take some courses at uh, Columbia which had ex- like extension courses in chemis- uh, a chemistry course there was an anatomy course and calculus that I hadn't done very well in college uh, with the thought that I would improve my grades and try to go to medical school again Within three weeks, I said, what the hell are you doing? I, I, this studying is not for me. It wasn't, uh, and I, and I remember saying to my roommate, I slept on the couch. He slept in our wed- one bedroom. He slept in the bedroom. I said, Jeff, what the hell am I going to do? You know, I don't want to be, you can take a pre-med education and be a drug representative. And I, I'm not going to a doctor's office. Guys going through medical school, try to sell them the, the latest, uh, 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 depression drug or whatever. And, uh, he says, well, why don't you be an actor? He'd gone to high school with me and he said, you're always good at that. And, you know, I have to admit, it was like a light bulb went off in my head. Again, how how dumb, how thick can you be? And I said, yeah. Yeah, why not do? Yeah. It all of a sudden made complete sense. And it's something that really excited me. Medicine, I was excited with the... the uh, all the results, you know, this, I was excited by the, the very process of trying to do it. And it, it just, it was, it was, uh, well, it was life changing. <laughs> and so Robert Anderson, who you mentioned earlier, he was the one who helped you get started in LA, right? You, you two, two, th- well, let me go back that summer before I went, to New York. I graduated. I did a, 
they had a show. We had a summer home in Nantucket. And every the, the community put on a show every year. Got two writers from New York to come up and write a special thing just for our community using all the, the, all the personalities and whatever. I sang in this show. Robert Anderson happened to be up there, knew my mother. We had a cocktail party afterwards, and he came up to me and he said, your mother tells me you want to be an actor. I had never told my mother I wanted to be. I swear to God, I had never told. I said, no, I don't. I want, I want, I want to be a doctor. I'm, you know, and it's good. And he said, well, if you ever change your mind, you let me know. Well, shortly after I talked to my friend, he said, why don't you be an actor? I called Robert Anderson and I said, hi, Bob. He liked Bob. And he said, oh, hi, Buzz. How are you? I said, you remember you said, uh, why don't you uh, call me if I want to be an actor? Well, I think I want to be an actor. And there's this pause on it. And I'm sure he's going, oh, God, why did I ever say this? He said, yeah, you sure you want to do that? He said, yeah, well, yeah. He says, well, why don't you come over and have dinner with uh, Teresa and I? And he had a, an apartment on Park Avenue with Teresa Wright was his uh was his wife, who's an Academy Award winner and everything. So I went over there and he spent three hours telling me, don't do this. This is, this is why this is bad, bad, bad. And, um, and, and this was like in October sometime. And I said, I have to finish this, uh, semester at school because I promised my dad and whatever. So it's over in February. He said, well, if you still feel the way, call me. I called him. He got me an interview with, uh, with uh, William Morris, uh, an agent called Ashley Steiner, which is was molded into what is now ICM. And um, Robert uh, uh, Whitehead, who was the uh, artistic director at uh, Lincoln Center, which was only about two years old. I only remember, I'm sure I met the other people, but I, I did, uh, I went to uh, Ashley Steiner, and they had, you could, once a week, they'd have people come in and audition. So I went in and auditioned, and they, they, they signed me. And this was a big agency. Now, I have to admit, if I had known how big these people were, I probably would have been shitting bricks. And, um, but I, I just, I, I was pure enthusiasm. Okay. Raw is raw can be talent. But I, I went in with this girl who was also was was my roommate's girlfriend who was in New York, and we'd palled around at Ohio Wesley, and she she acted there, so we did this scene, and uh, they signed me up. Then my girlfriend in high school, her father was the vice president, a vice president, at CBS Radio. He had two clients. One was Arthur Godfrey, who was a big radio personality in the fifties. And Edward R. Murrow. And I went to him. I said, yeah, I mean, he sent me to CBS. Uh, I did a, a, my scene for, uh, for him. 
he said, well, I can't do anything for you now, but I want to, I'm going to send you to Eleanor Kilgallen, who's the, um, uh, talent representative for Universal Pictures. So I went over and did the scene for her. She called me three days later and said, um, uh, well, I'd like to take you to lunch at Sardi's. So, which is this big theatrical restaurant in New York, for those of you who don't know that. And we went there and she said, how would you feel about going out for a screen test to go under contract at Universal? And I said, well, uh, I guess. And then I, uh, so, um, eventually I went out to Universal, did my screen test, came back. And they uh, said, show up on May 25th, you're under contract to Universal. So in February, I decided to be an actor. In March, I got an agent. In April, I uh, got asked to go out to Universal and do this thing. And in May, I'm under contract at Universal Studios. Now, I would not say this is, this is a, you want to call being in the right place, the right time, doing I, I don't know how it all fell together. But as I say, I think it was pure enthusiasm and uh, personality that got me, got me there. Then, then I had to find out what the hell I was doing. It, I mean, it also sounds like there was a, a, a greenness that worked in your favor that you, you didn't really know you know maybe how things normally worked or who these people were and in i mean is that true that you just were kind of more naive and and uh not oblivious but just not uh aware as acutely as someone today might be in terms of researching oh okay who's this casting director what are all the projects they've worked on that you were just kind of showing up having fun with this and and just yes. enthusiastically like you said yes and i would say and i've never thought about it until you've sort of put it together this way it was the best asset i had and that's the best asset everybody has is the ability to show who you are now, I guess some people, there are probably some actors who are brilliant actors who are sort of dullards in, in real life. But uh, the best asset I had going for me was me. I was socially comfortable. I was, I had a certain confidence in me connecting to other people. And that is what eventually you put into your work. You have to find out what it is about you that connects to a character. What is you? Now, if you're playing a murderer, obviously it's not your murderous thing inside you. But there is some part of you. We all wake up in the morning. We all go into the bathroom, do what we have to Probably everybody's pretty similar about that. There is a human being in their baseline that we all can connect to. And you really have to know who that person is. And, and that, and trust that that's your best asset. And I, unbeknownst, I didn't have anything else to show. 
And you can go to a teacher who says, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And you can get caught up in that, that artificial, um, construct, what it is to be an actor. And you could be hogtied when you go in with that much stuff binding you up. You have to be free and open and, um, I, I don't know. I, I hope that sort of yeah, gets no, of course. To the it, crux I mean, of it. It, it is, uh, yeah, it did come through clear. Um, you, you know, when you get this contract job, and I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about all the, the projects you worked on, but what I'm curious about is, you know, it sounded like you had done a fair amount of theater up to that point, but not as much TV and film. So, I mean, that time, I imagine, was really you developing your technique in terms of working in TV and film, is that correct? Oh, that's very great. It started actually with the with the uh, the screen test because <laughs> I did this another actor from um, uh, New York. Actually, Mike Wallace is the uh, the late uh, newscaster, and uh, uh, from sixty Minutes, I think it was either his son or his stepson went out with me there, and we did this scene, and I remember. The first time I heard action and do it, we're sitting across from beds talking. That was the scene. I forget what the scene was. And they said action. And I started talking like this, like a stage. And the guy, whoa, whoa, cut, cut. The guy's going with his microphone. Just talk like you would to him. You got a mic on you here. You don't, you're not projecting to the back of the house. <laughs> So that was my first uh, thing. But yeah, there's a lot. The the, the technique of doing um, movies is much different than theater. And that's why I love theater. I mean, it's um, you're not quite as constricted. It's a much more subtle medium. And do you feel like um, this is not taking anything away from your enthusiasm or the talent you did have, but do you feel like at in those days it was um, not easier or more open, but just, I mean, that's just the way of life that it was that these studios had contracts and they just needed to fill them with a bunch of actors that could be in the bit parts and the background and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to give the impression that it was like the old studio days because it wasn't. They were trying to, Lou Wasserman, who was the head of Universal, was trying to, go back in a way of nurturing their own stars. And and the reason for that is if they hit gold with a few people, which they didn't with me, but um, they, uh, they paid me the grand sum when I started of $125 a week. And then you would go, this woman who Monique James, who was my, who was the head of all the, the contract actors, she would get you an interview to do, say, um, uh, the Virginian and you'd go in and, um, and say you've got the part. Well, they would, they would charge, you would get paid more than $125 a week by the Virginian. And that was their profit. The biggest profit they would get. But that was universal show. So it's a matter, it's a matter of a bookkeeping of, uh, they're paying themselves. Moving back, the numbers around. Right. right. Yeah. 
But if you get, went off the lot, your agent was supposed to work for you to get like a, a movie over 20th. And they would charge 20th $5,000 a week. And oh boy, I mean, they've, they're making some dough now. And so that's was their hope. So one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you, and I appreciate you correcting me about the contract system at the time, is I can... I can imagine, even though it's not possible for actors now to, you know, look at being a contract player, I can only imagine there were things you learned about your technique, you know, as it developed and, and what you learned about in terms of the business of acting, the business of making shows and movies and things like that, that are still relevant today. So what, you know, what was it that you feel like you, cause it was a few years that you did that. What do you feel like you pulled out of that time that, that would still be relevant to, you know, actors now? Well, I, I was I was very lucky in that. That was a wonderful place for me to be at that time because I was smart enough to take what money I was making. I took acting lessons. I took horseback riding lessons because uh, every other show was a Western, which was great. I'm glad I got in on that. And I took singing lessons. And um, because I knew I had a lot of catching up to do, and I would suggest that for anybody in, um, you don't have to take the horseback riding lessons, but uh, um, acting lessons, uh, singing lessons, if that's something that interests you, dancing lessons. I was a horrible dancer, always have been. I probably should have taken that. But anything to... to um, um, widen your your tools to get more tools to work with, especially today. But I was lucky because I was able to learn on the job. I had people there who were supporting me, who put me in small roles to begin with. And the hardest thing for actors today is just to get on film. You can't get an agent, a decent agent, unless you have film. And how do you get film if you don't have an agent? And it's highly competitive. And nowadays, when I was uh, first started, there were three television networks. That's it. And there wasn't reality television. So from, and when I started, it was from seven o'clock to 11 o'clock was prime time. And they were all mostly dramas or comedies. So, but it still was a very narrow field of entertainment. And it was all done in Hollywood. And, but today, there's so much at stake for a new person to get just in the door. It's very difficult. And that's why I say when you do get that opportunity, you have to be ready because you got to make, man, I don't want people to get nervous about it, but you just got to, you got to make it count more than when I was there. Well, and I think it's, um, you know, another term that comes up a lot of time is, is preparation. You know, mm-hmm. you've, you've done the work. It's, it's not necessarily about obsessing about this moment that will come to you. It's just about, you know, like you said, taking these classes, doing, you know, doing the work, getting yourself ready so that when it comes, you are ready. You've already done the work. It's not like cramming for a, a you know, a final or something like that. You've, you've been putting in the hours. Um, which actually leads me to a question. Uh, about Chris and I'm not expecting you or anyone to be able to, you know, point to, you know, oh, this is why, you know, Chris has been doing well. But I am curious, um, 
that, you know, both, both your kids seem to be doing well in their respective careers. And so what, what is it, what do you think you and your wife were able to provide as parents in terms of their mindset and their approach to their work that, um, you know, specifically with Chris has allowed him to do as well as he's doing? Probably a, a couple of things. Um, first of all, I would say about Chris is that he really has made this on his own, whether I taught him it or his mother taught him. I, I don't know. But he has a wonderful work ethic. And he went to a school that was very intellectually competitive. And he did very well. But he was not the smartest uh, bulb in the room. He was smart. Uh, don't get me wrong. He went to Berkeley and uh, was a was a uh, a uh, English uh, lit major and uh, did very very well there. So that whose genes gave him the intelligence, I don't know. How he used the intelligence, I think we had something to do because we. We said, you know, it's important. And he was competitive. He, there was some smarties in his class who, and he didn't want them. They were getting all the kudos. He, he didn't like that. So, I mean, he, he was competitive and he has a ferocious work ethic and he's very competitive and he's smart. And those things help. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean somebody who's not as smart can't do very, very well because people have. But you have to be competitive in this business. You can't be frightened of that. And uh, so we helped him with that. And we were there for him. I mean, whatever you wanted to do, we didn't say we were hoping he'd be a lawyer or something like that because we know how difficult it is in this business. I don't care how talented you are and all of that. And given everything that Chris has, uh, it could have gone another direction. Who knows? Right. I mean, you know, as you're saying, like he's a hard work. I mean, you know, there are these, um, uh, kind of givens that he's a very hard worker. Uh, he's a good looking kid. Um, you know, he, he is talented, but, there is also that unknown of the timing, you know, that it just, you know, the, the right part comes around at the right time. And culturally, like this is what people are looking for, or it, it just, it fits in to, you know, what, what is going on there. So it's like, you're right. I mean, it, there is a degree of control in terms of what you can do and how you can work and prepare, but then there's a degree of, it might not go anywhere. It might not, you know, be as successful as we all hope. And of course that happens with a lot of shows and movies and things like that. Yeah. Nobody goes out speaking with nobody goes out to make a bad movie. I mean, if people knew how difficult it was to make a movie, to put all the parts together, just the right time. And it all comes together. It's amazing we make so many good films that we do. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it really is difficult to do. The thing also I would say, um, and what I've told Chris when he first started, I said, remember, it's about the process. If you enjoy the process, you will survive. 
So if your goal is to be a star and to be sign autographs and get all that money and live big and be one of the guys, that's not going to do it for you. Uh, it might, I don't know, maybe one in a million get it from that sort of desire, but you have to enjoy the process. And if you enjoy the process, success will be what it'll be. You know, if, if you consider yourself a failure, if you're not a star, then I, I think you're going to lose. Well, so, well, speaking of process, I am curious that, you know, in recent years, you've done Shakespeare, you've done French farce, um, which, you know, seemed like they were new uh, to you in terms of, uh, you know, the work and, and, and all that. And, and then also given the, you know, the ADD and learning lines and all that kind of stuff. And this, these are not texts that you can improvise or uh, hope to, you know, you, know, you got to really know what you're doing. So, I mean, what was, um, what, what were some of the biggest lessons you took away from, from working on that kind of material? Well, first of all, I would, uh, uh, disagree that uh, you'd be surprised what you can uh, ad-lib with <laughs> in Shakespeare <laughs> and whatever. But what I learned was in is that as a director told me just in the last uh, show I did you know, go out there and tell the truth. And I don't care whether it's Shakespeare whether it's Moliere whether it's uh, Mel Brooks or whatever, you got to go and tell the truth. Now, Mel Brooks, I, let's put that aside because it's comedy's a little different. But you just have to make the words mean something to you. And if you read Shakespeare, he's uh, and uh, I mean, my first Shakespeare was King Lear. I didn't do King Lear, but I played Gloucester, which is a substantial role. And uh, that's what I learned is that I didn't worry about the poetry of it or stuff like that. But it just, everything, it can be real. If there's something very real about what he says. And, and, it's amazing. Within two lines, there there are four or five thoughts in there, and you just have to give each its due. You can't just rattle it off. I've heard Shakespeare where people just rattle it off. I don't know whether that's the best way to do it because it's there's just a lot going on there, and um, I. People might really disagree with me, but uh, I think if you find the truth in what you're doing, it will it'll all speak. And of course, on the stage, you have that liberty. Given my ADD and everything, you have a lot of time to rehearse and get this stuff down. And as soon as it means something to you, that it's just not memorized, when it means something to you, that that takes care of itself, then then it's not quite as much of a problem and uh, to stay online. Well, when you were talking a little bit about, you know, the work that, that you need to do, and you, you mentioned earlier about um, sometimes you feel like you didn't deliver 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that occurs to me is it, it feels like if you're going to have any longevity, and, and this is me talking kind of from outside, uh, hy- hypothesizing, is that it's going to be because you are dependable. Um, I mean, you know, of course, if you're some kind of, you know, you just strike it rich and, and you become a big movie star, then, then yes, you can, uh, impact, you can get movies made and all that kind of stuff. But for most people, if they're going to have a long term career, it's because directors, casting agents, casting directors, whatever, know that, oh yeah, these people can do the work. Either they can hit the mark, they can, they can hit that in the scene that we need and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, as someone who has worked so much, you know, over your career, Mm -hmm. do you feel like it is that? Is there something else that has contributed to the longevity of your work? Well, I think in any business, relationships are very important. Good relationships, true relationships. And what are relationships based on? Uh, Responsibility. Um, um dependability, and uh, somebody you like to work with. Um, I've made good relationships, and I think people enjoy working with me. I don't, I show up, I try to be as prepared as I can. Now, sometimes I may not look like it. What, what I've learned about, and this is another thing, you have to take into the workplace a sense of humor about yourself. If you take this business too seriously, it's going to be a long, long haul for you. And uh, you just have to have a sense of humor and give yourself a break. You know, um, if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. You admit you made a mistake. You don't try to hide it. And this is another thing for young actors. When you don't know something, ask. It's okay. You're not expected to know everything. You don't pick up this business in two, three years. It takes a good while to know exactly what's going on. And if you go in and you say, hit my mark, what what do you mean? What's a mark? I mean, we're talking basic. Ask. It's okay. And to ask and say, you know, I'm just starting in this. I don't know everything. And I tell you, that that just clears the air, and people are very, very helpful, most of them. Now, some people may say, where the fuck did we pick this guy up? I mean, God almighty, does he not know where his mark is? Well, yeah, yeah, but I'll tell you, everybody, that's one person on the set who may have control may say that, but everybody else is saying, give the guy a break. It's, it's You know, he's starting. Everybody starts somewhere. Everybody Everybody associates with, with that. They've all, we've all gone in. And that was my, uh, help me. I just say, I don't know what's going on here. And then that's fine. Um, and it probably didn't hurt that you were so enthusiastic. No, no. You were enthusiastically telling people you didn't know what was going on. Right. I mean, but, and this is another thing. I have my process, right? My process is different than anybody else's. And anybody, you could say that, Nathan, that your process, because everybody's process is maybe just a little different, but different. And you have to claim what is your process. What is your process? And stick to it. 
Now, if your process is you go on stage and you need five minutes to get into character, you may be pushing it. But you'll figure that out, that that's not appreciated. Is that a big, big, uh, I think the place I heard of the first is in this business, time equals money. You got to get this thing going. But you have your process. You got to figure it out. There's no one teaches that's going to teach you everything. It's okay when you go to a teacher and you don't agree with that thing. If it doesn't work for you, teacher of mine said you have, you have one obligation when you, you come in here. You at least try what I suggest. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. You're going to, and you should go to, in the course of your life to many teachers to see what, to see what they have to offer. And, and you then build your unique volume of how you do this. Because as is everybody has a different fingerprint, everybody has a different process. Everybody's different. And be, be loyal to who you are and make sure you know who you are. Don't expect this business. If you say, well, when I'm a star, then I'll, I'll know, that's it. No, 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 no. You'll never get to be a star unless you know really who you are. If that means going to a therapist or whatever, but you have to know who you are. If you've got problems with your family or whatever, straighten it out. Straighten it out. Claim who you are. As soon as, when you claim, it took me till I was 50 years old, going to my father, but you got to claim who you are. And until you do that, somebody else is pulling your strings and you just don't want that. Now, I can only imagine um, being married to a therapist mm. has, has probably has its pros and cons. Um I, I, I've always felt like if you get into an argument with somebody who knows psychology, you're, you're probably going to lose because they, they just know how things go. Um, but, uh, I'm curious, you know, in terms of, uh, does it ever come up in terms of discussing characters? Is that part of your interest in acting? Like, uh, the, you know, what makes people, what makes characters tick, the psychological motivations and all that kind of stuff? Of course. I mean, I, that I think is, uh, one of the, I think that's why a lot of therapists, uh, especially women, because their careers are shorter, it shouldn't be, but they are, um, go into therapy because I think acting is about looking into the psychological makeup of the, of who your character is. Why does he do that? Why does he say this right now? Meryl Streep says they, she was asked once, uh, uh, is it hard, uh, your lines? How do you memorize that? I said, well, I, I really look into my character. And when my character speaks, that's all she could say. She could only say it because she, she knows it's, and she's probably simplifying it a bit, but, uh, but that's, that's it. I mean, it is. We're, all we are are our psychology. That's who we are. And the, the, the sooner you understand why you do things, why a person can intimidate you, what is it about holding your own in a situation like that? Why do you let that person 
you know, have that much uh, control over you. Until you answer those questions, you don't really have control of who you are. And that's what ultimately, I think, frees you to do whatever you want. Yeah, and as you mentioned, even straightening all that stuff out, you can, it's probably even healthier at that point to use all of it. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's what you find out is all this shit you've gone through is gold. It's gold. You can use it. You can use it. My son, I don't think I'm telling anything that he would, he said it before, but he suffered from terrible acne in high school and it really, really impacted him. And, um, you know, there's there's the very little you can say to somebody who's going through something like that. It was terrible. And we felt horrible for him. And uh, we were going through our own problems, too. But um, he's used it. He wouldn't be the person he is today if he, if he hadn't gone through that. I mean, I've told him that. He, I don't know whether he, believe, whether he believes that, buys that, but I think so. I mean, that is... It may, it's made him a very um, sensitive person to other people's uh, problems sure. and whatever. And uh, one of one of the best, one of the greatest things I get as a parent is when I go out on an interview or something. You say I worked with your son, and uh, I got to tell you what a what a great guy he is, and how much fun it is working with him. I mean, right there, it gives me chills saying it. I mean, it's. It's the best um, best reward I could ever get, ever. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, and and it brings it back to so many things we talked about. That you know, if you if you're a decent person, if you're a good, kind person, like that's that's the person you want to be first, first and foremost. And then you just bring that to your work, and and that's going to lead to more opportunities, more work. That's and, right. And you know, you're not you're not concerned with Am I going to be this big star in one, five, ten years? It's am I doing good work and am I being a good person? And uh, but yeah, no, it, it is. When I go out on interviews today and I go into a room, there are all these guys. We all could do this part when you've been around as long as I have, and you're in a room with other seventy-year-olds or sixty-year-olds. You know, they're here for a reason. Is they've survived. You know, I mean, they've been here. Right. And when you go into a room, a lot of times, you know, the director looks around and says, who would I like to work with? I mean, all these guys. And sometimes sure. I think I get it because they say, you know, I hear he's a fun guy to work with. You know, and you get the part for that for some stupid reason like that. And uh, right. it's um, and then I go into a room and another guy goes in there and the guy with the director says, I, I like this guy, not me. But it's just. And not because necessarily because of your talent. It's just that working on a set all day long for director and the people there, it's a long day. And why not be with somebody you enjoy who's fun, you know, and yeah. and is not gonna give you a lot of a lot of trouble getting from A to B, you know. It's just um so yeah, yeah. Um your reputation lives with you and uh yes. unless you're a big star and you get away with that crap 
and they don't, and not tell you, a lot of them can't wait till that person makes a big mistake, so they never have to worry about that person again, because they're not working. Right, right. Well, Robert, this has been fantastic. I mean, it's been so um, informative, uh, you know, just learning about your, your journey and, and hearing more about, you know, you as a dad, and uh, uh, that's that's been really cool, too. So uh, I really appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun. Nathan, thank you. It's it's fun for me. If you ever want a chapter two, call me. Awesome. Thanks, Robert. Thank you, Nathan. Hey, guys, it's Nathan here one more time. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything. And if you can take a minute to rate and review this in iTunes or wherever you find podcasts, that will help others find out about the show. I appreciate all comments, and thank you very much for doing that. Be sure to visit WorkingActorsJourney.com for the show notes and any links from today's episode. You can also follow the show at WAJourney on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to connect and let us know what did you enjoy from the show. Don't forget to check out freemeditationcourse.com. Sign up right now to start making your life easier, calmer, and more enjoyable. Thank you again to today's guest. I really appreciate and value all the people that contribute their time to making this show possible. I also want to give a special shout out to the following people who really helped shape this podcast and offered feedback in the early stages when I was developing it. That's Ben, Claire, Ty, Felicia, Brian, Shelley, Tess, Alexander, Tony, Rondell, Leslie, Eric, Jen, Catherine, Robert, Alex, and William. Thank you all so, so much. I really appreciate your help. I'm Nathan Agan, and thanks for listening. 